Welcome to the TieSpeak podcast on TieSpeak.com. TieSpeak brings you inspirational conversations with dynamic leaders of business, music, sports, and faith. After 20 years in the music business building lifelong fans, I'm ready to bring the lessons I learned to you and your business. I want to help you market like a rock star. Shoot me an email at tie at tiespeak.com and I'll get back to you within the day. I appreciate your social shares and I'm humbled that you're taking the time to listen. This is TieSpeak. Welcome to Thai Speak. This is episode number 20. I can't believe that I've made it this far. 20 episodes. I still feel like I'm completely trying to figure this out, trying to figure out what I'm doing. Never quite know how it's going to turn out for each episode, but I'm glad that I've made it this far. Thanks so much for coming along on this journey. And if you're new to Thai Speak, thank you so much for joining us. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. Um, I don't have a guest. I was listening to a friend's podcast the other day, and they were doing a little bit of a catch-up episode. And I'm always a fan of ketchup or anything that can have ketchup on it. So I thought I'd give it a try. I wanted to catch you up to some things that are on my mind, some things going on, and especially in the month of October. So when I think of October, what I think of and what I'm experiencing is just the heart of football season. And I love football season. So for today's episode, what I want to do is I want to go through different levels of football and talk about different lessons I'm learning, different leadership lessons, different life lessons from every level of football, from the NFL, college, high school, junior high school, and all the way down to the youth football level. So ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the first annual fall football pigskin podcast here on TieSpeak. All right, so welcome to the first annual Fall Football Pigskin Podcast here on TieSpeak. We are going to start right at the top with the big boys in the NFL. Now, we're not going to take a journey all around the league. If you want that, there's plenty of podcasts to talk about it. We're going to talk about my favorite team, the Atlanta Falcons. And if you know anything about the Atlanta Falcons, you know it's hard to be a Falcons fan. In fact, many would argue it's hard to be a sports fan of any Atlanta franchise. Atlanta teams just have a long tradition of letting their fans down, but that comes with being a fan. Part of being a fanatic is you come for the pain anyway. You got to keep on cheering for the team, even when they disappoint you. And uh, I, I love the Falcons. I love going to Falcons games when I have the opportunity. It's a, I've been to many NFL stadiums, but I just love the atmosphere at Atlanta Falcons games. There is just that unique, diverse ATL flavor when you go to a Falcons game. It's, it's much more um, hip hop than blue collar. And, and I love being a part of it. Um, I love going down there. It's not the way that I grew up. It's not the music they play isn't the, the typical music that I listen to. But I, I feel a connection to our city when I go down to Falcons games and I really enjoy it. And um, I actually had the, the incredible opportunity to go down to the Falcons game uh, this, this past Sunday. I've act, in fact, I've been to all of our home games and even a really cool treat. I had a friend um, give me some great tickets, including parking passes, to, just right on the suite level. And um, I was able to give those to, to my oldest son, Cole, who was able to take seven football buddies with them. So guys that love football, that have been playing football since they were eight years old, 
got to go out and enjoy the Falcons game. And the Falcons um, really just put a trouncing on the the Carolina Panthers. And it looked a lot closer in the score than it actually was because the game was well in hand and Matt Ryan and Julio Jones just showed that they were uh, just a dynamic duo. And really both of them playing to their potential. What we know they can do, now let's see if they can keep it going. Because, you know, as we learned last year with a 5-0 and start doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate to anything when the season 8-8. and But uh, th- that's the Atlanta cynicism Right now, I believe, I believe that the Falcons can do it, that we got a great team. We have the ingredients we need to, to really go far into the postseason. So crossing my fingers that that happens. But I want to talk about the lesson that I'm learning from the Atlanta Falcons. So when I was thinking about this, I was really tempted to talk about, um, you know, maybe make a little metaphor of David and Goliath talking about Cam Newton, because Cam Newton, I really like Cam Newton, but humility doesn't seem to be his his greatest trait and it was really gratifying to to see the falcons really take it to cam and just absolutely shut him down and um but i don't want to talk about that because i've realized how mean that would sound especially as he's undergoing concussion protocol because we hit him just that hard so i don't want to talk about that what i want to talk about is the larger lesson that i think i'm learning from the falcons right now and that goes back to the monday night football game the week before. So it's very possible that you missed it because the game was happening at the same time as the first presidential debates. So I I was certainly um, switching back and forth between the two contests, so to speak. And what was interesting is at the Falcons and Saints game, I think we saw more leadership than we saw on the political debates. If you're like me, there can sometimes be a feeling of helplessness when you watch the national or international news. You see these things going on in the world, but you feel powerless to really do anything about it. And I know that's the feeling that I had as I watched the police shootings over the summer in Louisiana and in Minnesota, then to see the police officers shot in Dallas And then over just the last few weeks to see another rise of police shootings and just had this frustration that as somebody that is really striving to to want to reach out to be a bridge for unity and equality, to be someone that brings people together. Um, just feeling frustrated, like what what can I do about it? So um, I wrote a I wrote a few blogs um, about it that I'll share in the show notes, uh, talking specifically about adopting our African American son and how that's kind of changed my perspective on some of these issues. Um, I've reached out to to many, um, sadly probably all of my African American friends, but to to try to get a greater understanding of what they're going through. And I did a podcast with my own hometown, Roswell, Georgia, with our police chief to try to get his perspective and to see um, what he's doing to get on the front of this issue, how how we're working towards have, to have better community policing and to make sure that, that Roswell is never on the news um, for one of these shootings that, that just honestly, I think to so many people just feels questionable. It just feels like no matter what, when when you're in the position of authority, when you're someone that has a weapon, there has to be a responsibility to do everything you can not to discharge that firearm and take another person's life. So I've been feeling that frustration along with 
with a whole lot of people. And it's dominated a lot of the conversations that I've had with people over the last few months of just how can we make this world a better place. Then obviously we saw the protest that was started by Colin Kaepernick, where he chose to, to sit down and then kneel during the national anthem. Once again, people took to social media. I felt very conflicted about it because um, I you know, have grandparents that serve in the military from taking a USO tour a few years ago, traveling back on an angel flight with a, a coffin of a fallen soldier on that airplane with a, you know, covered by an American flag. Um, I have a great respect for the flag and I have a great respect um, for our country and for our fallen heroes. So although I was feeling very sensitive to the the issue that Colin Kaepernick was trying to to bring attention, I felt very conflicted and I felt like, oh my gosh, I think you've really chosen a bad way to make this protest because it just, it, it's, it's so offensive and it's so grating to so many people and, and certainly social media then, then responded, you know, and I saw on Facebook, it's just such a polarization where, um, so many of my friends, you know, on near hate speech of, you know, how can you do this Kaepernick? And then I think we've seen over the last few weeks, um, where it's proven out to be, I think a, a very courageous form of protest and, I know my perspective from just my initial reaction has changed a little bit. I'm not offended that he's taking a knee. I think that's still a, a, a respectful sign. I know there's things he said where I'm sure there's many police officers that still have issue with Colin. But I think as far as con- making sure this conversation doesn't fall out of the news cycle, I got to say mission accomplished to Colin Kaepernick. But that brings us to Monday Night Football on the same night as the debates. And what happened during that that Monday Night Football game is that both of the Saints and the Falcons joined hands during the National Anthem and joined hands um, for that that brief moment of prayer. And it it affected me. Um, You know, as an Atlanta Falcons fan... Uh, we have no greater enemy than the New Orleans Saints. There's no love lost between uh, these these two teams. And, uh, and it was just a really powerful symbol. And I thought it was a great way that both of these teams were able to still show respect um, for our flag, for our country, but at the same time say, you know what, the issue to which Colin Kaepernick is trying to draw attention needs to stay front and center. And um, I wanted to give a shout out to both Drew Brees and Matt Ryan. My understanding of the story is that um, Drew Brees actually had this idea of wanting to do something and reached out to Matt Ryan over the course of the week. And then they as leaders took it to their team and said, let's do this together, which I can't imagine was an easy sell to those franchises. But um, what a powerful symbol. And it really said to me that that's the way forward. That's the way forward for our country is is to find ways that can bring us together. The symbolism of it was so powerful to me because I think what's going to draw us together as one nation and united across these racial lines is not politicians that would drive a wedge between us to try to get us to one side or the other. Are you Black Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter? But those images, those symbols, those people that will pull us together and and say, you know what? We are one. We are brothers and sisters. And that's how I feel. And I want to see this, this problem get better. I mean, I, I can't believe that we're still dealing with this. I see so much progress in my kids. 
and to see our country still going through this stuff is is really frustrating. But that's the lesson that that I took from Monday Night Football, and especially because the uh, the Falcons did did beat the Saints that night, made it made it extra. Uh, extra <laughs> wonderful for us, um, but really proud of Matt Ryan and Drew Brees, the the, the Falcons and the Saints for for setting that symbol and and that message for showing a, a way forward that can bring us together as a country. And I didn't see a whole lot of that during the political debates; just a lot of interrupting each other. So let's move on to college football. I want to talk about a lesson I learned from a game that most Georgia fans would probably never mention again, and that is the University of Tennessee versus the Georgia Bulldogs. It's a pretty amazing game because, in fact, both teams had amazing come-from-behind victories in that game. Last-second, amazing finishes that should have been enough to win the game. I think Tennessee fans just got to experience uh, that last. And he who laughs last laughs best. In fact, I've already heard uh, what could just be one of those legendary tales about this football game, but it was about a bar in Athens that was playing the game and the cable went out after Georgia made their come from behind win. That turned out not to be a win, but they just all started celebrating. The cable goes out. Well, the game is won. They are just celebrating, drinking, having a blast. About 30 minutes later, a Tennessee fan walks in singing Rocky Top, and they're going, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, we defeated you. That probably wasn't the vocabulary they used. Um, and then the Tennessee fan had the pleasure of a lifetime to tell the Georgia fans that, in fact, Tennessee had done the impossible and come back with four seconds to play. So I know it is a painful game for the Bulldogs, so it might be too soon to talk about this, but I think I learned a valuable lesson from the game. First of all, Georgia did enough to win the game. The players on the field did enough to win the game. The coaches did enough to win the game. What an incredible comeback with just 10 seconds left to have that completion in the end zone, to take the lead at home, to beat Tennessee. It was looking great. And then the mistakes started happening. And those mistakes happened before the kickoff. Number one, we had a player take his helmet off in the field of play, 15-yard penalty for celebration. And then that was followed by a play that people probably overlooked, doesn't always make the highlight reels. But then we had an offsides on the kickoff. Two actions that both exhibited a lack of discipline. And then what happened? Uh, from the kickoff, you know, and again, I think you could you could argue that still that that kick could have been made a little bit deeper, but such is life. The kickoff happens. Tennessee has that ball near mid- midfield, close enough to be able to make that hail mary pass with four seconds to go and win the football game. So, the lesson that I think you have to take away from this game is that you can't have those lapses in discipline. That really the game was lost not on the field of play. Uh, enough was done to win the game. But the, those lapses in in discipline um, are what can really take down a team's really a game. And I think you got to make the, the metaphor and draw that to just a life lesson. That um, those little things, those little lapses in discipline, even off what you think is the field of play, can be the things that take you down because it sets up the situations 
in which there's even a possibility of you being defeated. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because it, it is pretty painful. I'm not a huge Georgia fan, but I don't really delight in the the suffering of others. That's certainly what this seems to be. But you got to take this lesson, Georgia. You can. You're still a good team. Uh, you're not a great team. Uh, you're a good team. But I think you established with the firing of Mark Richt that being a good team isn't good enough. Uh, Mark Richt always had a winning record. Always had good teams. Um, you fired him, made that change because you wanted to be a great team. You wanted to win a national championship. And it really doesn't look like that's going to happen. Still still not impossible because you're an SEC team, could still win the East, uh, could still make your run, but it's certainly stacked against you. And it was a weekend where Mark Richt returned to the state of Georgia with the University of Miami and soundly defeated Georgia Tech. Um, so uh, Mark Rick is looking good, and he's a man of character. And uh, so I'm, I'm sure there's some Georgia fans right now who are saying, what have we done? So now I want to talk about my favorite level of football, which is the high school level. So if you're from Roswell, you already know the Roswell Hornets are currently ranked number one in the state of Georgia. They're undefeated. Um, they've now played all of their out-of-region games, and they went undefeated in that stretch, which I got to tell you, when when Coach Ford and the athletic director put this schedule together, I thought that they were really asking for it. I mean, to go against the Buford Wolves and a rematch against Colquitt County, um, man, it was <laughs> ambitious. Last year, we just had these incredible players. I mean, we have two players from our team last year, Trey Lamar, who's who's getting on the field for Clemson as a freshman. And we have Marcelino Ball, who as a true freshman, I mean, he is the truest of freshmen. He's only 17 years old and he's starting defensive back for for Indiana and making plays. I mean, every week I'm seeing these these highlights of Marcelino Ball and remembering that not even a year ago, he was still a Roswell Hornet. So we had these this incredible talent last year, um, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And so I just kind of thought that, well, we're probably going to be just, you know, a little bit of a step down. And what I didn't consider is just what another year would do for all of our returning players. And our defense is looking even better than last year, which honestly, I didn't think that was possible because we had these superstars. But just as a whole team, these guys have been playing as a unit for a long time and are really, really good. So I'm a big Roswell Hornets fan. And I got to give you a little perspective because um, I've actually kind of worked it so that I get a lot of time around the team and in some really cool ways. And so how I do that is on home games, um, whenever possible, I work on the chain gang. And that actually gives me a great perspective of the opposing team. And so far this year, it's been me really learning how teams deal with adversity because Roswell has um, has caused a lot of adversity for our, our opponents. So in that, I kind of get a, a glimpse into what their culture looks like, our opposing teams, when they're facing adversity, which in my opinion is when you really see what you're made of. 
So I've written some a, a blog about that where I talk about how um, you know really kind of the only thing that matters about who you are in your culture is what you do when you're having success and what you do when you're when you're having adversity, with the latter being really the most important. So uh, it, it was cool to see that. But around the Roswell Hornets, I've been helping out with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, um, shared a little bit of my testimony and just some some leadership lessons with the guys uh, just last week. Um, but that has afforded me a position um, with the team in the locker room before the games and um, and on the sidelines during the game. And I'm really relishing this opportunity because I love this team and I love these kids specifically, these young men, uh, many of whom I've known since you know second or third grade as, as my son's friends. So it's really cool for me to be a part of it. And again, I feel like I get a really cool perspective. So some things that I've learned from the high school level, from my Roswell Hornets um, over these past few weeks is number one, that love is a better motivator than hate. I know you're probably wondering what's love got to do with it. Cue Tina Turner, right? When you're talking about football. Um, but actually being around the team, I've seen that that they talk about love a whole lot. That's something that Coach Ford talks about almost every day, that their job is to love each other. There's actually a great book that talks about that called Season of Life by Jeffrey Marks that I know Coach Ford's a, a big fan of and has really adopted the principles of that book. I read it over the summer, and I really see him doing that, seeing him modeling that principle of, of loving each other as the primary goal of a team. And I really saw that over the last two weeks. That really underscored. When, when the team went to go play Archer, which was another one of those teams on the schedule that, that just looked like a just an absolute monster, why in the world would we bring that uh, on ourselves? And then, you know, when the, the scoreboard played out that, that um, we really didn't face a lot of adversity during that game, it was 47 to nothing. Now, what's interesting about that game is... Um, several of Archer's best players actually transferred away from Archer after we <laughs> set the schedule. So they turned out to not be as tough as they originally looked. Interestingly enough, they transferred to um, their rival team. They, they transferred over to Grayson. And um, we'll talk about rivalries in just a second because uh, it's something I cannot imagine um, Roswell football players transferring to our rival team, Milton. I mean, the the hatred between <laughs> Roswell and Milton, um, a, a kid just wouldn't do it. Uh, and and you're going to get all the looks you need at Roswell. You'd never transfer to Milton. And I can't think of any players from Milton that have transferred to Roswell. I'm not I'm not really a big fan of of transferring. They they talk about well, these kids just want to play with each other. And Gwinnett's a growing county, blah, blah, blah. How can you abandon your school and transfer? It's kind of sad that we have these high school players are, are, are sort of free agents now, um, especially transferring to your rivalry school. But back to the game, Roswell had no trouble. They, they won the game with no problem. But before the game, uh, Coach Ford's uh, speech and, and talk to motivate the guys, he says, guys, you know, can we give everything we have? Can we play for the entire 48 minutes? And if we do that, no matter what, I'm going to be happy. Um, but, but can we do that not out of hatred for them because we don't care anything about them? 
can we do that out of love for each other? And that was his challenge before the game. And um, so as we were walking out to the field and, and the players were running through the banner, I was just reflecting on that, um, that, you know, it was a game where we, we've never really played them before. Maybe we have, but uh, I don't think uh, I'd have to look in the history. I don't think we've ever played Archer. Um, so it's not like there's any rivalry there. It's not like there's any deep seated hatred. Um, the challenge was, can we just go be the best that we can be and, and, motivated out of our love for each other, motivated out of a desire to do our part for the person next to us. And and that was the challenge that, that coach Ford gave to the team that the team clearly responded to. But I want to transition from that to this last week. So this last week was rivalry week, uh, hate week. <laughs> it's called the great American rivalry. There's actually, uh, this, these, uh, these rivalries across the U S that get highlighted and Roswell versus Milton is one of them. So this last week, Roswell was playing Milton, which is a, a deep seated rivalry. In fact, I think after this year's win, the lifetime record of this contest goes to 37, 25 and one. So you're talking about two teams that have played each other nearly every year since 1950. Um, Roswell has the advantage in the rivalry, but in the more recent history, that hasn't been the case up to just these last couple of years. I think that even Coach Ford would probably acknowledge but that hate enters the picture. You know, all week the kids are, are trash-talking each other on, on Twitter, and I think the normal approach to a Roswell football game kind of went out the window where normally the the players are admonished to just focus on the game, focus on doing their job, play out of that love for each other. Well, hate entered the picture. And the rumbling I was hearing all week was how, how much are we going to beat them by? Are we going to not let our foot off the gas? Will we keep in the starters all the way to the fourth quarter? Is it going to be 75 to nothing or 100 to nothing? And there is just this genuine hatred. The, these teams don't like each other. And, and I feel it even going out there, which seems silly, but, uh, you know, there's just four or five miles away. But going out there, you feel like, oh, these guys are they're richer than us and they have nicer houses and nicer cars and they think they're better than us and their facility is nicer. And only seniors are supposed to wear camo at Roswell, but at Milton, they've stolen that because they can't come up with traditions of their own. So yes, hate is real. And and normally you don't see that until these college rivalries, you know, think of an Alabama or an Auburn, um, but it, it's real, even at the high school level. So we're feeling it, We're and it, it kind of messes you up because you go, we really want to win this almost illogically. Like, you know, where normally you go, hey, a win's a win. If we can win you know, 24 to 23, fantastic. We'll take the W and move on. This week, it's like, that's not good enough. We need to make them suffer. But anyway, as we rolled into the actual game, um, it's as if that hate put on an extra burden onto everybody because it got everyone off their, their sort of normal routine. And, uh, I haven't asked Coach Ford about this specifically, but I think even with him, you could see when you bring it up, it's like he just wanted it more. He was strung up a little bit higher. And then you saw that with the players where they, they were just tense. And even before the game, it's getting chippy. And everyone, is, you know, the, the coaches were almost having to restrain some of some of the star players to, to not get into a rumble before the game. So that was the backdrop before the game. And then as it played out, 
the the first half of the game was was scoreless. So our defense was playing absolutely just lights out. Um, Milton couldn't really do anything against our defense. I mean, they they honestly barely could get a first down. Um, our defense was just so strong. But our offense, even though we have these incredible weapons and uh, you know incredible receivers, we have this incredible mobile quarterback who is being looked at by multiple D1 universities. Um, and we have an incredible offensive line. We have an incredible running back in Sheldon Evans. We just couldn't get anything going, and there was a lot of mistakes and a lot of mental mistakes. So it was really interesting to go into halftime, and what I saw was a team that that reset. I, I saw a team that that kind of let go of the hate a little bit and got back to Roswell Hornet football. There were three things in particular that I saw during halftime that just really impressed me and that I saw as key to this team turning it around. Um, the first was our defensive coordinator, Coach Gilstrap. And, you know, the defense was playing great. They were doing their job, and um, but the offense was struggling. And so you could almost feel this divide between offense and defense among the team. And obviously a team that's divided against itself is, is never going to succeed. And Coach Gilstrap kind of called that out. He said, guys, yes, you guys are playing great. we got to keep it up. But your body language, um, you, the way that you guys are not cheering when the offense is on the field, the way that you guys are starting to express your frustration, that's a serious problem and it's got to stop. And it's going to stop now. So I, I really liked that uh, coming from our defensive coach just to pushing the guys back towards love, back towards unity as a team. The second thing I saw came from our running back, Sheldon Evans. And seeing him walk over to the defense. So he left kind of the offensive regrouping, went over to the defense, and, and he thanked them. He said, guys, you're doing an awesome job. If you get me the ball back, I promise you that I will score. And I thought that was really cool. Like that was kind of like a Babe Ruth point calling out a home run, right? And, uh, and that certainly played out as the second half happened. And the third thing, once again, was from Coach Ford who just kind of brought a perspective and said, guys, for Milton, this is all they have is hate. Uh, this is this is their Super Bowl. They're not having a great season. We've seen their best shot. Does anyone feel like we've given our best shot? And the answer was a resounding no. And he said, I'll take our best shot over their best shot any day of the week. Let's go give it to them. And that's what Roswell did. They came out, final score 17 to zero. So hats off to Milton. Hard, hard for me to say that, uh, someone who graduated from Roswell, but they really, they played their hearts out and were able to, to you know, keep Roswell from scoring for the entire first half, which no one else has been able to do. And uh, they, they really showed that these young men have a lot of uh, heart and character to hold us back. and uh, But I, uh, I learned some lessons from this game. And the biggest takeaway for me is hate's a distraction. Pride's a distraction. Get it out of the way. Get back to your core team. Get back to loving each other. And that's how you're going to play your best. So now I want to move on to the Junior Hornets and the Junior High School football. So we are now really diving deep. You're not going to get this kind of depth on any sports talk show. Sure, they'll talk about a high school team, but who's going to go all the way to the Junior and to the Youth Leagues? But uh, uh, my sixth grader uh, plays on the sixth grade Junior Hornets. 
and uh, unfortunately, he's a goofball and uh, broke his wrist skateboarding during football season, if you can believe that. So <laughs> he is out for a couple weeks, but I still help out with the announcing duties for the team. So what Coach Ford will tell you for the high school is the reason why we have a great high school program is because we have a great Junior Hornet program and a great youth program. And it's pretty special that you can be a Hornet from second grade through 12th grade. I mean, if you put that in context, you know, you'll never see a player in the NFL play on the same team for, for 12 years apart from, you know, Tom Brady. So it's just the exception that you're going to be on the same team for that long. And even though obviously it's different teams, there's that sense in the community that, you, that you're a Hornet uh, starting at age eight. And you're a Hornet at age 18. And, and that's a key to our success. But the, the junior Hornets, that's when it starts getting pretty serious. That's when they start running the high school playbook. Um, you have some incredible coaches. You kind of step away from the dad as coach and go m m move to coaches that aren't the dad. So no more daddy ball, which I think is a, is a great positive move. We just have an incredible... A junior program. So there's definitely a sales lesson there. This is where we fill our pipeline, right? Where you got to create um, lots of opportunities to close the sale. At the same time, we have to cultivate a lot of kids if we want to have great high school players. And they really do a great job of that in the junior Hornets just, just all the way through. And we've had a strong program there for, for a number of years at the middle school level. But I wanted to talk specifically about on my son's team, the, the sixth grade junior Hornets. So just starting out at the junior program. And this week on Monday night, um, they had a junior varsity, junior Hornet sixth grade game. So you know you're a football fan if you're watching the second stringers come out on a sixth grade team <laughs> on a Monday night. But I was announcing the game, and um, I try to make it fun. I'm going to talk more about announcing when I get to the youth football because you start getting into some rules where you got to be pretty serious and follow the, the high school rules when you're announcing. So more just play-by-play. -play. But I still try to play great music and, and have a good time when I'm announcing the games. But I was really impressed by this sixth grade game and because it was the second stringers and what I was expecting to see was a lot of sloppiness. Um, I was expect these are the kids that are, you know are sitting around uh, a lot of time during the game because you get away from mandatory play, and unless it's just a blowout, um, that the the kids, unless they're sort of in their starting position, they really don't play a lot. And so this was an opportunity. We were playing um, just you know a team that's not really a rival, just a good friendly team in Cambridge. They came over, let the second stringers play each other, but with officials, it's a full on game. So what I noticed in this game, which which I was really proud of. First of all, I was proud of the coaches for actually playing in the true spirit of the game on both sides. They the the starters didn't even dress out. They were just there, no pads on the sidelines, so they couldn't even be tempted to put them in and win the game. So they kept the true spirit, which I thought that was admirable because a lot of coaches just can't seem to do that. They can't, uh, you know, get rid of the perspective that you got to win at any cost, no matter what. Um, our coaches just said, "Hey, the 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 spirit of this is to get." kids to play and to help kids fall in love with the game. And what I saw that impressed me was that even though this was like the second string in all the positions, so we were starting with, you know, a kid who's would be our third string quarterback. Um, and then he actually got hurt in the game. So we were down to our fourth string quarterback <laughs> on a second string, sixth grade junior varsity game. And 
there was like very few penalties. Um, they, they, there were not a lot of illegal procedure calls. The, the defense was um, not having offsides. There weren't illegal shifts. Uh, people were, were doing their blocks right. We were actually running plays. And it kind of blew me away because it is hard enough. I've coached just a little bit. When you're talking about a middle school team, just to pull together sixth graders to get your starters to do things correctly and to see that even on our second string, we were still executing really showed me that, that we have some great coaches. And, um, and that's really the secret of why Roswell will have some ups and downs, but why we're going to be a great program for a long time to come is because we are cultivating great talent. So that was the first lesson I learned was just being impressed by the coaches. And then the second thing that I saw is the game kind of tightened up toward the end. Roswell was leading 14 to zero and then Cambridge um, scored and got a two point conversion. So it was 14 to eight. But um, what I loved seeing was then all the starters for Roswell who again, weren't even dressed out, but them cheering on all the second stringers to make sure that they were able to make the stop and hold on for the win and I just love that because what a great role reversal where normally the second stringers are, you know, game after game after game are just cheering on the starters. I loved seeing the starters cheering on the second stringers. And so to me, that was one of those moments that just transcended the game and, and highlighted for me why I love youth football so much. So we've made it all the way to the final segment of this episode. We are going to talk about youth football, but an interesting aspect of it. So a few years ago, I noticed that there was a big problem in youth football and really in all of youth sports. And that problem is that parents just did not have the proper perspective. And that's part of why I wanted to kind of work backwards for this show, starting at the NFL and then college and then high school and then middle school football, all at a youth football. Because obviously what that, what that underscores is that football is a long journey, right? Certainly to make it to the pros, you're talking about a, you know, a 16-year journey to make it all the way through youth, middle school, high school, college to make it to the pros. The vast majority of players aren't even going to make it to college, right? Only, you know, I think it's around 1% of high school players are able to, to play in college, and then only 1% of those go to the NFL. So really, to me, the perspective I always have is that that high school is kind of like right in the center of it and is the, the apex of the football universe. Anything beyond that is gravy. But um, what I noticed a few years ago is that a lot of parents didn't seem to have that perspective, that even in second grade, third grade, fourth grade football, you have these parents that were absolutely freaking out, that were like stressed out during the game. Dads that were screaming at their sons and, and yelling at their coaches, sometimes cussing. You'd see fight in the stands, fights on the field, yelling at the officials, just absolutely being nasty. And I couldn't believe it. And, um, you know, fortunately I already had my older son kind of a, a, a few years down the road. And, you know, if, if when he was going into 10th grade, if I said, Hey Cole, do you remember your third grade season, the fourth game of the year? Of course he's going to say, no, I don't remember at all. So, you know, the idea that winning and losing these youth football games matters at all is, um, is pretty ridiculous. So I'm not saying that we shouldn't have competition. Like I, I'm a big fan of competition. And yes, when you're coaching a team, you're trying to win. But what I really believe is that winning should be one of your goals for a team. About the fifth goal down on the list beyond like teaching kids how to give good handshakes 
and teaching people to show up on time and to not let the rest of their team down, to teach kids that when you commit to something that you need to do it and you need to honor your word. But there are some real obstacles to that. And honestly, the biggest obstacle are not the kids. Um, I think the biggest obstacles are the coaches and the biggest obstacles are the parents. So the, there's a big problem in youth sports, and that's coaches don't have the right perspective. You have a lot of coaches where it's almost like um, the bully in <laughs> the schoolyard, where they were bullied as kids, so now that so they're going to bully. Where a lot of these guys, you know, they had really hard coaches and that were hard on them, so they think they got to pass it on. And uh, and so I want to break that chain. And then the other thing that you see is parents that just don't have the right perspective that they they're just so stressed out about their kids and they they you know they're already looking and thinking about college scholarships when um, when their kids are eight years old so i got involved with youth football five or six years ago and started by helping to to coach uh, one of my son's teams um, my my son is now a sixth grader i coached his second grade team and then went on to serve on the board for the youth football and really have just developed this passion to see how can I transform the culture of youth sports, starting with just our own little part. And I'm doing it in a fun way. I'm doing it from the press box by announcing the youth football games. So this is what I found about culture. And again, this is something that I've blogged about before, is that when you do not clearly define your culture and set a positive culture, there is a vacuum. And when there's a vacuum, vacuums suck. And vacuums pull in bad behavior. So what I really believe, my starting hypothesis, is not that these coaches are bad and not that parents are inherently bad. It's that they don't know what to do. That uh, I'll equate it to when I first tried to play golf. Uh, I went out there and I missed a putt and I tossed my putter in the, the air and was cussing. And my father-in-law says, what are you doing? I was like, well, uh, aren't you supposed to be upset when you miss a putt? And he's like, you don't play enough to be upset about missing a putt. And he gave me a great book, Golf is Not a Game of Perfect, and, you know, kind of provided this perspective that you, you know, you don't deserve to be upset if you miss a putt if you're not out there, you know, playing, you know, twice a week and, and spending a couple hours on on the putting green. So since then, I, I've always been able to enjoy when I do play golf because I have no expectation that I'm going to make any shot and I just go to enjoy it. So similarly, I found that parents um, that are showing this bad behavior, that are just riding their kids and are screaming. And, uh, you know, the thing that I hate is seeing dads just ride the fence is what I call it, where they just follow the line of scrimmage, they're on the fence. And after every play, they're just screaming at their kid. And my feeling is if you want to be a coach, then go out and coach. And volunteer and give your time throughout the week and help out and design the plays and, and cheer on all the kids. But if you're not willing to do that, then shut up and and let the coaches coach, let the players play, and the parents uh, need to cheer. And beyond that, I think that the parents need to, the biggest thing they can show their kids is that they love them, that their love is not conditional on their their effort on the field. Um so I have a lot of opinions about this on youth sports, and it's something I'm really passionate about. But I want to talk about how I'm trying to change it from the press box. So the way that I do that is through an ample 
a heaping teaspoon of sarcasm, but in good-natured fun. So when a Roswell Hornet football game starts at Roswell Area Park, I'll say something like, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Roswell Area Park. It's our 44th year of football here in Roswell. Sorry to report that just like the previous 43 years, there are no NFL scouts in the stands, so we're just going to have to enjoy this as a game of eight-year-olds. And then I might go on to say something like, Here in Roswell, the coaches coach, the players play, the cheerleaders cheer, and the parents, we challenge you to offer the gift of unconditional love. And then finally, when the game is coming to an end, I might close with something like this. Ladies and gentlemen, these athletes have demonstrated a fine performance today. We're 10 years, 4 months, 3 days, and 7 hours away from their class's signing day. So no need to stress out about where they're going to be playing for college right now. The important thing is these kids have fun. They continue to grow up as great young men, and they know that you love them and support them. Have a great weekend. I try to create an atmosphere where... You'd really be a jerk if you were getting uh, high strung about the game. These youth football games, they're beautiful. They're Saturday morning. It's like 68 to 75 degrees. We have this beautiful tree-lined park. Our kids are out there playing a really fun game which with, with guys that are going to go on to be their best friends. And my goal is to get parents to go, guys, this doesn't matter. The winning or losing doesn't matter. There's such a long journey for these kids. What matters is that they have fun, they get a little bit better, and they, th- that they just might want to play football next year. Because honestly, do you really think you know our high school coach Ford like cares what what plays our third grade team is uh, is running, or or even if they win the championship? I mean, sure, you'll always want to win a championship, but it just really doesn't matter because a lot of these kids are going to go on to other sports, to lacrosse, to baseball, to to soccer, to cross country, to track, and that's good and healthy. Kids should try different sports while they're kids. I'm not a big fan of specializing. These kids at eight years old and getting your 10-year-old Tommy John surgery so he can throw a 60-mile-an-hour fastball when he's 11. And some of these parents have just lost their perspective. I think it's ridiculous. You see parents that will spend the money that would be their college education in order to get their kid a, a college scholarship. So I don't really understand what they're even netting out besides their own ego being lifted up. Um, by their kids' performance. So it's something that that I, I fight against. I, I know as a dad, you can have that feeling of pride and you want to make your identity on your kids' performance, but you got to fight it. Parents, you got to make it fun for the kids. So I try to do it from the press box. I have a great time um, calling out sort of bad behavior, but creating a context where we teach parents what to do. We teach our parents in Roswell to go sit in the stands together and to go to go cheer on all the kids. And so the cool thing is this actually works. Here's an example. Roswell fans, as you look on the field, you'll notice that the Roswell Area Park opted for the digital camouflage a couple years ago. It's a very effective camouflage, making it very difficult to actually call out the individual kids' numbers when they make a play. So ladies and gentlemen, we're just going to have to cheer on all our Roswell Hornets after every single play of the game. Let's see if we can do that here today. But I think there's a great lesson from there is like parents – you really miss it from youth sports if you make it all about your kids and if you fail to realize that your job is to cheer on the whole team, to offer unconditional love, and to help prepare your kids for a lifetime of success, a lifetime of lessons learned from the great game of football. 